So tonight we'll cruise through Deuteronomy, and um, I tried to have a few less slides this time, and I don't know how this is going to work. And I brought my study Bible because there may be some references or something I need to get. And um, the, the good downside of my study Bible is small print, so I'm probably going to be doing this number all night. Um, but anyway, um, we'll, we'll get, make our way through uh, Deuteronomy. So we're gonna, what I'll do is, is we're trying to do in most of our studies is uh, give the meaning of it, but also we'll do like a general breakdown, like main sections, then we'll go through and, and break it down a little further and uh, kind of drill down a little bit in our study. So remember, this is, we're cruising through, so we're trying to do a bird's eye view of each book without getting too bogged down, but at the same time, there's some highlights in there that you just can't overlook because, I mean, it's all important, but there's some things that you really won't get the meaning of the book until you look at some of the highlights. Um, and we'll get to this in a moment, so I'll go ahead and say it now, so we probably won't spend as much time on it. But remember, the first five books of the Bible, Moses wrote them with the exception maybe of the last chapter or so of Deuteronomy because Joshua probably recorded that because as we'll see tonight, that's the death of Moses, the end of Deuteronomy. But Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, these books coincide because they were written roughly at the same time. We'll see that tonight with the Numbers and, and Deuteronomy. But also... Um, the common thing between um, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy is they're the books of the law. They have the law for Israel, and um, we'll see a little bit of difference between Deuteronomy and the other books of the law tonight. Some of the laws are the same, but we'll see why it's separate. So uh, the key to Deuteronomy, or the key word that's found, I'm trying to get a key word to describe each book, and the key word for Deuteronomy is simply the word obedience. Uh, in the Christian life, and this is true in the Old and New Testament, it's true under the law and it's true under grace, that obedience is always the pathway to blessing. Obeying God, trusting God, serving God, uh, obeying what he says is always the pathway to blessing. Um, and so if you know Christ as your Savior, the happiest Christian life is the obedient Christian life, trusting him. And so that's the key to Deuteronomy. Deuter, the first part of Deuteronomy, that word simply means uh, a two or a second. So Deuteronomy means the second giving of the law, basically. You'll see repeat in here, uh, if you get to chapter 5, we'll talk about it tonight, there's a repeat of the Ten Commandments that's found in Exodus 20. And the difference in Deuteronomy is, we'll, we'll kind of hit this several times, is Deuteronomy was written to the, to the children of Israel for them to remember the laws of God when they're in the land, once they're in the promised land. Exodus, Leviticus, remember they were traveling in the wilderness, and they're still traveling in Deuteronomy, but it's about to wind down. And so God gives commands again to Moses to tell him, look, these are laws to remember when you're in the land. Once you're in the promised land, that will happen in Joshua next, next week, Lord willing. Uh, keep that. So the second giving of the law is for that reason. So that's why you see a lot of repeat, but it's because once they get into the land, some of those laws, um, well, most of them are the same, but some of them they're tweaked a little bit because it's a little bit different living in their own land than it would be living in a, in a strange land in the, in the wilderness. So a quick breakdown in about four sections Chapters 1 to 3, they're looking backward. Um, God does this often in the Old Testament, and it's a good thing to do. Uh, he does it in the book of Psalms several times. He does it several times. We've seen already in the other four books, of the other three books of the law, 
uh, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, but we'll see it again tonight. He, he has them to look back or to remind them of who he is, remind them of what he's done and where, uh, for them and where he's brought them from. And we all need to be reminded of that from time to time in our life. There's a song uh, in, I believe it's in our yellow book, um, Remind Me, Dear Lord, Roll Back the Curtain of Memory Now and Then. Now, some things that are old sins that are done in our past, certainly we're going to forget those. But we are never to forget how God's blessed us. Uh, we have to always remember how good God's been to us. And when we're forgiven, and when he's cleansed us, when he's forgiven us, when he's blessed us. And so um, he reminds them as they look backward. Then he has them look inward. Uh, at their own hearts and look inward at, um, uh, that's where he repeats some of the laws that he, that he had already given them. And then in chapter 12 to 30, he gives the heritage of Israel. He'll talk about the importance of all the 12 tribes and their, their, their land that will be allotted to them and so forth. And then chapters 31 to 34, yeah, chapters 31 to 34, there's the farewell of Moses. Those last chapters there, um, 31 to 34, those four chapters, Moses is basically saying his goodbyes to the nation of Israel. And we'll get to that and break it down when we get to it. So let's go through and look a little bit more. Uh, again, some of this will go by pretty quick, and some of this we'll look at uh, a little more detail. So in chapters 1 to 3, there's a backward look at the wilderness wandering so far. And he says something interesting. I didn't put this in the, in the notes later on, but if you're at chapter 1, look at verse... Um, Look at verse 35. Uh, let's see. Chapter 1. Surely there shall not one of these men of this evil generation see that good land which I swear to give unto your fathers. Now remember Moses, because of his disobedience when he smote the rock twice, when God told him to speak to it. We talked about that um, uh, last week or the week before. Where he smote the rock instead of speaking to it like God told him to do. Um, Moses was not going to be able to enter into the promised land because of his disobedience. But the children of Israel, uh, he, he um, said that none of them will go in because what happened, remember when he sent in, we talked about last week, when he sent in the 12 spies, one from each tribe, um, 10 of those spies says, we can't do it. Those giants are too big. We can't do it. Um, there's no way we'll be able to take the land. But two said, yes, we can. And those were Joshua and Caleb. Pick up at verse 40. Or excuse me, 36. Save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he shall see it. And to him will I give the land that he treadeth upon, and to his children, because he hath wholly followed the Lord. Now we'll see that come to pass next week, Lord willing, in Joshua, or whenever we get to Joshua. And the Lord was angry with me for your sake, saying, Thou shalt not go into there. They're talking about Moses. Verse 38, but Joshua, the son of Nun, and you in, which standeth before thee, he shall go in th uh, thither, encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. So basically saying, I'm, God's going to take me home, and Joshua's going to take my place. You follow him, he'll take you into the promised land. And then he says concerning the next generation, moreover, your little ones, which you said should be a prey, and your children which in that day had no knowledge between good and evil, they shall go in thither, and unto them will I give it, and they shall possess it. Um, here you see where the, um, the disobedience of those other ten spies did not pass on to the children. And what's the key phrase there? They did not have a knowledge between good and evil. I'm going to go over this really quick, and, and I wasn't going to sidetrack on this uh, on anything much tonight. But this is a verse that you can companion with some places in Romans concerning uh, what we call um, um, age of accountability. 
Um, I personally believe that a child, until they're at the point that they understand what sin is and that they're a sinner, uh, would not be accountable if they died before they understood that. Um, But this is one of the verses that helps us understand that because it says those children had no knowledge between good and evil, that, that Uh, the children of that generation. Anyway, so let's move on a little bit more. So in chapter 1, 2, and 3, it talks about their past, about how God had blessed them, and why it was that many of them would not see the promised land. But even though they wouldn't, God would still be with them until that, even if the generation was going to die off, he was still their God. He still, I mean, he had delivered them through the Red Sea. They were still his children. It's just that generation was not going to get to see the promised land. Chapters 4 through 6, he goes back and talks about um, the, the law from um, Exodus especially, but he talks about the law and the importance of it. He talks about um, how, the, um, how the law was to be maintained and kept as they go into the promised land. And then when you get to chapter 5, I mentioned this a, a minute ago, when you get to chapter 5, you'll see the repeat of Exodus 20 of the Ten Commandments. Look at verse um, Six of chapter five. I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Verse eight. Thou shalt not take unto thee any graven image. And you read on down through there. Keep the Sabbath. Uh, six days labor. Uh, thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Honor father and mother. So he repeats them in chapter five. They were to know them and um, and to to remember them. Uh, and once the generation grew up. Um, where their, their parents died off, or would die off from water in the wilderness. Once they grew up and went into the promised land, they would need to, re- need to remember that. Then you get to chapter 6, and we see where he takes the, uh, the law from the commands he gives to reminding the importance of passing that down to their children. And we look in chapter 6, verse... Um, Look at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. That is uh, all thy might. That is um, repeated when Jesus is asked the question by the lawyer that time. He said, you know, what's the great commandment? Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, with your strength. Then he said the second is like unto it, love thy neighbor as thyself. And so the Lord made, under, made them, wanted him to understand you can't love your neighbor the way you should if you do not love the Lord the way you should. And that's why he said they're two, they're, they're the same commandment, they're like two sides of a coin. And so when he asked him what's the greatest commandment, this is what, where Jesus quoted uh, was from there. And then you read on through that chapter and he talks about the importance of to teach them diligently. Uh, verse uh, 7, teach them diligently thy children and talk of them when thou sittest in thy house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. And so uh, the importance of the word of God, it's great to have plaques and, and posters, whatever in your, in your house that have, you know, verses of scripture. Um, you don't see it as much anymore. You still once in a while you'll see in somebody's house, they'll have a, a plaque or something up as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Verses like that are great to keep in a house to, to remind you um, the, of God's goodness in your life. And so they were to literally do that and even write them on, on, the, on the clothes, on the things that they wore. So he, um, in chapters 4 through 6, talks about the law. Then when you get to chapters 7 and 8, it talks more about the Lord himself and what he had done for them. Look at, um, uh, pick up at verse 1 of chapter 7 just for right now. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, whether thou goest to possess it, 
and hath cast out many nations before thee, and he names them there. So God says, look, when you go into the land, these enemies I'm going to take out whenever you go into the promised land. He said, you're not to make a covenant with them in verse 2. Uh, you're not to, to marry with them in verse 3. Um, they're not to turn you away to serve other gods. So he tells them, you're a holy people and in verse number 6 and reminds them of who he is and who they are to him. Then you get to chapter 8 and you see, um, um, well, I have another slide on that, I think, in just a second, actually. You see um, more about... Uh, the Lord where he's more personal with them when he brought them through the, the promised land. We'll look at that actually in just a moment, so keep a, keep a mental load on that. Verse, uh, chapters 9 through 11, he talks about the importance of the land when they do go in to possess it. And he talks about the, the two tables in chapter 9, verse 10, of the Ten Commandments and for them to remember them and keep them. Uh, chapter 7, he tells them why he chose them. And we'll get to that actually at the end of the study here tonight in just a moment. But in chapter 8, he tells, he tells them why he tested them. Look with me at chapter 8 and verse, um, verse 1 real quick. And all the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do, that ye may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee, to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldst keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee, and suffered thee to hunger, and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not. Neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that every man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Uh, he tells them uh, here in this chapter, he reminds them of what he had done for them. That he had, you know, he brought them to the Red Sea, and that he led them those 40 years, he continued to lead them all through the wilderness. And he said, when you get into the land, I want you to remember that. And he said, I led you through there to humble you. And I did that to, to try you and to test you and to see if you would keep my commandments or not. There are a lot of times we go through problems and trials in the Christian life. And um, this verse, these two verses here, verse 2 and 3, give us part of that meaning at least. We know in the New Testament, the Bible tells us he uses those things to make us more like his son, Jesus Christ. But here, uh, when the Lord allows us to go through some things, he's testing our faith. He's going to see how we're going to respond. And oftentimes, because we're human, our faith gets a little short sometimes. Our faith doesn't, it kind of loses gas. And it's like, Lord, am I really trusting you like I should? I know you're with me. I know you're going to take care of me. And then when you read on down the next few verses and leave off or pick up where we left off, he says, your, your clothes didn't even get old. You didn't even have to have new shoes. How about that, ladies? You go through 40 years and don't even have to have new shoes. Uh, you, your clothes didn't get old. You never lacked anything. I took care of everything that you needed. And that's true for us as Christians. And so there are a lot of the Old Testament you can apply. Uh, maybe not directly as far as the law goes, but you can apply because God certainly takes care of us. Then chapters 9 through 11, he talks about the land once they go in. And you see several times in those chapters the word inherit and the word possess. If you remember way back, and we'll probably talk about this in Joshua when they enter the land, Way back uh, when God made the covenant with Abraham, when he called him to serve him. And Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great nation. Do you believe that? He said, yes, I do. And he said, because of that, I'm going to give you my very righteousness and your descendants, your seed. 
your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren, I'm going to make them like the sand of the sea and like the stars of the heaven. Do you believe that? He said, yes, I do. And then when he makes the covenant again in chapter 15 of Genesis, he says, I'm going to give you a piece of land, Abraham. It's going to be a big piece of land, and it's going to go all the way from where you are now, all the way to the Euphrates River. And so if you look at, we'll probably do this next week, when you look at a map of Israel now, it's just a small percentage of what is coming in the future in the millennial reign of Christ. So he promises them the land. And so you see the word inherit. You see the word possess. Uh, several times in chapters 9 through 11 where God promises them um, that they will get the land and get into the land. Then chapters 12 through 14, he talks about once they get into the land, um, once they live there, reminding them while they're there, when they're there and while they're there, some of the things they need to remember. Um, he, gives, he reminds them of the statutes and judgments he gives them. Um, in chapter 12, he talks about the, when you go into the promised land, the images and the places where these other nations worship these false idols, these false gods. He said, you're to, you're to tear all that down. You're to destroy all that. And he says, uh, I want to, you to take you to the place where my name's going to dwell. Now, ultimately, we know that's, that's Jerusalem. And he tells them that they're to, um, they're to tear down all the, all the uh, images of the, of the heathen gods. You get to chapter 13, and he talks about um, those that are prophets. If they're a prophet, if their message comes true, he tells them how to judge that. And then in chapter 14, he talks about uh, their diet. We'll get to that again in just a moment. Chapter 15 um, has to do with personal property once they're there. And with those that um, he tells them about uh, if someone is in, in servitude or bondage to you, like they owe you something. Every seven years, there's to be a release. They had to let them go after seven years, it said, and, um, to forgive their debt. Then he goes over feasts in chapter 16, and he mentions uh, the feasts where there are some feasts where they would worship and, and, uh, and, and celebrate feasts locally, but at least three feasts a year, they had to come into Jerusalem once they got into the land, they would have to go to Jerusalem to observe those. Uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is connected with Passover. And then there's the Feast of Weeks, which is also what we know of uh, later on as Pentecost. And then there's the Feast of, um, um, later on, the Feast of Tabernacles. It's later in the fall. So uh, of all the feasts they had, those three they would do corporately together, uh, worshiping together. So that's in chapter 16. Then in chapter 17... Verse 1 to 13, they talked about how to decide legal matters when there was a, when there was a disagreement between someone, uh, maybe concerning some, something that was owned or something that had been taken. And he said uh, there had to be two, at least two, or three witnesses. And that principle is still used in law systems today, or should be, where there are two or three witnesses to prove the innocence or guilt of someone. And um, so he, he goes over that in chapter first part of chapter 17. And then in chapter 17, verse 14 to 20, it's interesting because God knew that there was going to be a time where Israel would want a king. Now, God's plan and desire for Israel as his people, it was that he would always reign over them. I think a couple of weeks ago in our study, we talked about this a little bit also in either Exodus or Leviticus, and that he would have indeed a rule over them, a theocracy, that he would rule over them himself. 
That was his desire. That was his plan, was to rule over them. But he knew that they would need leaders, and so God raised up Moses and, and others, Joshua later. But he knew that there was going to be a point where they would say, we want a king. We want to be like all the other nations, and we want a king. God knew that that would happen. So when you look at chapter 17, verse 14 to 20, we won't read it uh, tonight, but when you read through there, he gives them the guidelines that they're going to need at some point for a king. And so... Um, in, in those, he tells them that they are not to um, bring in horses from Egypt and not to multiply horses. In other words, they weren't to, um, to gain wealth themselves by having a, a lot of horses and things like that that would, uh, would, would uh, bring them great wealth. It says they were not to multiply wives themselves, um, not to multiply silver and gold. And then it said they were to take, they would have a, their own copy of the law of God and have it copied out for the king to have. And so later on you see where that was ignored a great deal. But uh, one king, my favorite king in the divided kingdom is King Josiah. Josiah was a godly man, one of the seven or eight good kings of Judah. And one of the things he did was he, when the, the uh, temple, the tabernacle was, was, uh, uh, was basically in shambles at one point, uh, some of the, the men that served under him went and looked and they found the copy of God's law and brought it back to him. And part of what he did with that was he set back up uh, Passover that had been ignored for many, many years. And so uh, that was one of the things that would be done. They would have a copy of the law of God uh, always to be able to be seen and read at any time, not just for them personally, but for decisions that needed to be made. Chapter 18 <clears throat> Uh, it's, it's filled with kind of like you have to break it down to kind of like several or three different um, uh, sections there. When you read through chapter 18, it, it kind of jumps from, um, from, from one subject to another. In chapter 18, verse 1 to 8, he talked about the importance of providing for those that are Levites. Now, Levites, remember, are of the tribe of Levi. And through the Levites were the priests. Not all, uh, not all Levites were priests, but all priests were Levites. Some of the Levites weren't priests, but they served some way around the tabernacle once it was set, you know, when it was set up from time to time. And so they did not receive an inheritance or uh, land like the rest of them did. Uh, later on, when they get into the promised land, the Levites didn't receive land. They were taken care of by the rest of the tribes. Um, animals that were brought for sacrifices or certain... Uh, requirements and restrictions, and then that meat was to be given to them to live on. So God had a, a way of taking care of them. And then, of course, in 9 through 14, it talks about uh, sorcery and witchcraft and warning against that because, when they, again, when they went into the um, promised land, the heathen there, that was going to be some of the things they practiced, and they said, watch out for that. And then in 15 to 22, he talks about the difference between a true and a false prophet. And um, how one that if they claimed to be a prophet, if it came to pass, uh, they, were, they were to be regarded as a prophet. But if it didn't, they were to be seen as a false prophet. And he gives those guidelines there in chapter, at the end, uh, last several verses, chapter 18. Then, further on our GPS in Deuteronomy is uh, chapter 19 to 25. There were civil laws at home and foreign. In other words, uh, laws that they were to, when they were amongst themselves, in the land, and then if they were ever outside of the land, anywhere else, the way that they lived and were to behave themselves. Um, we talked about diet restrictions earlier, and then the way that they uh, handled differences between each other. And so chapters 
19 to 25 talks about civil laws. Some of them were moral laws also. Some of them had to do with uh, even the, uh, the clothes that they wore. Um, here's an example, chapter 22. Look at um, verse 11. Thou shalt not wear a garment of diverse sorts, even as woolen and linen together. They were to wear certain kinds of clothes, and they were not to put certain kinds of cloth together. Um, here's another thing right above that, verse 10. Thou shalt not plow with an ox and an ass together. Uh, so he had all these things that to us seem very, um, may seem a little odd or seem kind of, um, kind of strange, uh, the things he had for, for them to, 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 uh, to live by, the way that, for them to live by, but they were his people, and that's, that's why he gave them those things. So those go through chapter 25. Then they get to chapter 26 and 27. Once they live in the land, these were some things they were to remember. Uh, let's see if we can look at a quick example uh, of, of this. Uh, okay, verse, let's look at chapter 26, verse 1 and 2. It shall be when thou art come into the land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance, and possess it, and dwell therein, thou shalt take of the first of all the fruit of the earth, which thou shalt bring of the land of thy land, that the Lord thy God giveth thee, shall put it in a basket, and shall go into the place which the Lord thy God shall choose to place his name there. And shall go to the priest and shall be in those days, saying to him, I profess this day unto the Lord thy God, I am come unto the country which the Lord swear unto thy fathers for to give us. And the priest shall take the basket out of thy hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord. And then, of course, what, what was brought was uh, usually given to the priest to take care of them. So it was something they did uh, on their own uh, from their heart in giving to him. Chapter um, 28 is interesting when you read through that because... As you read through this very long chapter, it talks about the, um, the future of, of Israel and some of the things that they would face. And he told them in this chapter, if you, if you obey me as my people, I'll bless you and I'll do this for you and I'll do this for you and I'll do this for you and I'll, I'll, I'll make your uh, cattle multiply and I'll, I'll, the fruit of the ground will do well. But if you disobey me, this is what will happen. And this consequence will happen. And this consequence will happen. Look with me in chapter 28 to verse... Um, well, pick up verse 48. Therefore shalt thou serve thine enemies, which the Lord shall send against thee in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness and in want of all things. And he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck until he have destroyed thee. And the Lord shall bring a nation against thee from far, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle fly, a nation whose tongue thou shalt not understand, a nation of fierce countenance, which shall not regard the purse of the old, nor show, no show favor to the young. Um, when you read through there, you can't help but to see there between the lines that that's probably described what happened in World War II uh, with, with Germany and with Russia um, because those are exactly some of the things that happened. Now, later on, it will happen during the tribulation. But when you read that, you can't help but, but just kind of read there and, and apply that and see, see how that had come to pass. But that's a very long chapter, and it talks about their future. If they obey the Lord, this will happen if they disobey. Chapters 29 to 31 we see some of the, uh, Moses' last words publicly to them. Uh, they're not his very last words, but publicly in chapters uh, 29 to 31, he, he gives them some of the things uh, God said uh, to them. Um, and there are, he, he starts in verse 29, uh, chapter 29 and verse 1. These are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel. And so all through there, 
he tells them, uh, gives them various commands uh, and, and reminds them again, back and forth, what God has done. Then he tells them, here's another example. Look at 30, chapter 30, verse 15. See, I have set before thee this day life and good, death and evil, in that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply, and the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land where thou goest to possess it. And then uh, on through uh, chapter 31, um, gives um, his last words to them. Then we get to chapter 32, and this is what's been called um, by a lot of different writers and commentators, the Song of Moses. And whether he actually sung this or not, I don't know. Actually, Moses wrote some of the Psalms, and we'll get to that, Lord willing, when we talk about Psalms in the future. But here, uh, look at the first couple of verses here in chapter 32. Give ear, O ye heavens, and I will speak. And hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. My doctrine shall drop as the rain. My speech shall distill as the dew, as a small rain upon the tender herb, as the showers upon the grass. Because I will publish the name of the Lord, ascribe you greatness to our God. So he's, he's calling out to, um, to his nation, to his people, and tells them to listen to what God has to say. And then he talks to them about the greatness of God. And so it's a great example and model of uh, a hymn or a praise song or, or any song that glorifies the Lord. Uh, it's practical because it speaks to people uh, person to person, but it uplifts the glorifies, glorifies, ugh. just brush my teeth, can't do a thing with him, glorifies the Lord uh, as he lifts him up there and talks about his greatness. And so for several verses, he uh, is called the Song of Moses. It reminds him again of God's goodness and faithfulness. And then as he's getting towards the end of his life, he blesses the 12 tribes. He begins with Reuben in uh, verse 6 of chapter 33, and then Judah in chapter, uh, verse 7 of chapter 33, and you read down through uh, all the uh, 12 tribes of Israel. And then he mentions them again at the beginning of chapter 34. But chapter 34 is, the, uh, is uh, where Moses, where the Lord calls him home. He says goodbye, and the Lord allows him to see the land from a distance, but he's not able to go into it. Hold on to that just a moment because we're going to come back to that thought. Look with me at verse... Um, Seven And Moses was 120 years. Uh, actually, let's back up because we'll see where he goes into the land. Uh, sees the land, excuse me. Um, just pick up verse 1. There we go. And Moses went up from the plains of Moab under the Mount of Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is over against Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead unto Dan, unto Naphtali, and he names the tribes there. Uh, the south of the plain, verse 3, the valley of Jericho, the palm trees and the Zoar. The Lord said unto him, This is the land which I swear to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, saying, I will give it to thy, unto thy seed. I have caused thee to see it with thine eyes, but thou shalt not go over thither. He says, You can see it, Moses, from a distance, but you're not able to go in. Then verse 5 and uh, 6, or 5 through 7, it talks about his death. Uh, Moses, servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in a valley. The Lord buried Moses. And that something buried him in a valley in the land of Moab over against Beth Peor. But no man knoweth of his sepulcher unto this day. And Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was not dim, nor his natural force abated. The Lord just called him home and just took him in death, even though he was apparently uh, you know, in, in, in very good health. The Lord, Lord took him home. But he was able to see it. Now, fast forward several centuries. 
There was a time in Jesus' ministry that he took three of his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, with him. And he took him up into a mount. The scripture doesn't say what that mount is. I think it was probably the mount where Moses received the law, um, probably Mount Sinai. But he go up on the mount, and when it's referred to in, uh, in sermons and in notes in your Bible as the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John go up there with the Lord. And while they're there, they see the Lord's face transformed. And, and they see him in his glory for a few moments. And their appearing was who else? Moses and Elijah. When Moses was alive, he didn't get to see the promised land. But when he appeared with Jesus, he was standing right back there looking over it again. Isn't that something? He got to be right there and see it. That's just an amazing thing. But anyway, um, God called him home. Let's look at a few practical things as we try to do before we close. Um, as far as time goes, Deuteronomy took place in the last... Uh, one, one, of my, one of the sources I use, he said actually probably the last two months, but we know it was less than a year the, the events of Deuteronomy take place in the last few months of the book of Numbers. So everything you see written there that's said uh, or God tells Moses or he tells the children of Israel, it happens pretty quick, back-to-back uh, -back events when you compare it to the others. Because some of those uh, other books were several years, and this only was within a few months. But it took place the last few months of, of the book of Numbers. So going back, we won't look at Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus time right now, but... Uh, again, creation, almost 4,000 B.C., 3975 roughly. So the book of Numbers we looked at last week was 1463 to 1423, a period of about 40 years. Deuteronomy happened within that last year, however many months, a couple of months maybe. So it happened very quickly uh, in, that, in that time frame, the end of the book of Numbers. Look at our mileage and efficiency. To whom was it written? It was written, of course, to Israel concerning the land, their enemies, their present, and their future. And he reminds them, again, this is what we mentioned at the very first. When you get into the promised land, don't forget what I've given you. Don't forget your laws. And we're going to see some reasons why. Now, does the law save anyone? Go with me. Let's take a quick walk back in chapter 4. The, the law was never meant to save anyone, give anybody eternal life in the Old Testament or the New. In fact, when you go into the book of Romans and the book of Galatians, Paul reminds us that the law is not a bad thing. It's a good thing, but it shows us that we can't keep the law. And it shows us that we're in need of the Savior, in need of a Savior. We can't keep the law. The law was given to show us our sinful condition. But the law was given to Israel to live by because they were his chosen people. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor... Nope, I better get into Deuteronomy instead of Exodus. I went way too far back. My goodness, Barry, you went to a, two or three studies ago. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and to the judgments which I teach you for to do them, that ye may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. I wrote down two more references that are pretty similar. Chapter 5 and verse 33, and chapter 8, that should be verse 1. That shouldn't be a semicolon, that should be a colon. Chapter 5 and verse 3, the Lord made not this covenant with our fathers, but with us, even of us who are here alive this day. And 33, that ye shall walk in the ways of the Lord your God, and command you, thank you, that you may live 
It may be well with you. Thank you. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. I was too, and I was wrong thinking I was wrong. All right, chapter 8, verse 1. All the commandments I give thee shall ye observe to do that ye may live and multiply and go on. So the living there wasn't eternal life living. It's that they would live and enjoy the land. They would get abundance uh, in the land, not only from the land, but abundance of life living there. So the law was not intended to save anybody. And when it says something about that you may live, that was that they would enjoy the land, the promised land that they were given. Uh, let's look at some lessons learned real quick. The Red Sea, of course, was a constant reminder. He, he reminds them um, it occurs in Exodus. Uh, we saw that a few weeks ago. Then Leviticus, Numbers, and again in Deuteronomy. Over and over he reminds them, remember how I brought you through the Red Sea. Remember I divided the waters. Remember you got away from Pharaoh and his army. Remember I delivered you just as I promised you. And so the Red Sea uh, was a constant reminder. And so for the Christian life, um, whatever, wherever we go through in our life, there are times where we just need to stop, back, stop and look back and think, you know, the Lord saved me. I'm not all I should be. And I'm not all I'm going to be, but at least I'm not where I was heading. I'm saved, and the Lord, Lord, he has me. He's taking care of me. And it's a constant reminder that's a new beginning in our life. Another lesson, God is merciful and gracious even when we're disobedient. God was good to them even though they had disobeyed. And they weren't going to enter into the promised land because they wouldn't believe the, the two that said, we can do it, we can go in. God was still merciful to them. They never needed new clothes. They never needed new shoes. They always had food. And he told them, your little ones, they will go in. I will take care of them. Then go with me to chapter 31. We have a couple of minutes real quick. Chapter 31, this is what I call the Sunday school principle. And this isn't, this isn't original. I found this before uh, some, from somebody else's writing. But uh, chapter 31 and verse number 12. Gather the people together, men and women and children, and thy stranger that is within thy gates, that he may hear, may learn, and fear the Lord your God, and observe to do all the words of the law. So gather them together. Men, women, children. Uh, graded Sunday school uh, idea comes from that verse. That uh, gather them together in, in, in the age groups and um, with each need. And he says, even the stranger that is in thy gates, even those that were not of Israel, let them hear the law of the Lord. The, the idea today, of course, is to, to go out and lead people to Christ who do, who do not know God's word. And so um, sort of call the Sunday school principle there in chapter 31, verse 12. And then look at chapter 32, verse 22, is the very first mention of hell in Scripture. For a fire is kindled in mine anger, and shall burn in the lowest hell, and shall consume the earth with her increase, and set on fire the foundations of the mountains. That's the first mention of that in Scripture. Then real quickly, chapter 18, I mentioned a while ago when it talked about judging a prophet, if they were a, a true prophet or, not a, not a, or if they were a false prophet. Chapter 18 and verse 15 says this, and I'll just, you just write down the reference. We won't have time to read it tonight. But in chapter 18, verse 15, the Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, and unto him you shall hearken. Now that's Moses talking to the children of Israel. And that literally comes to pass in the Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 1 and verse 21. He's asked the question when he begins his ministry, art thou that prophet? Well, when they ask that question, they're referring back to this verse in Deuteronomy. And then also, when Jesus is in the wilderness being tempted by Satan, uh, three times he tempts Jesus 
take these stones, turn them into bread. Um, if you'll, he, he uh, brought him to the, the, the top of the temple. He said, look out and see all these kingdoms of the world. I'll give them to you. Uh, they're mine, uh, and I'll give them to you if you'll fall down and worship me. So those three temptations that came through, all three of the responses Jesus gave were from Deuteronomy. Um, he, uh, that shall work, um, eight, three is the, um, uh, bread that, um, the Lord of uh, bread that comes from, from, from God, that, uh, excuse me, the, uh, the Lord, thy God, the, the bread, not just the words, what I'm trying to say, the word of God, not just physical bread, but there's, there's a uh, spiritual bread of the words of God. And Matthew four, verse four, Jesus answered that whenever he tempted him to turn the stones to bread. And then when he told him, he said, if you'll fall down and worship me, Jesus said, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, him only shalt thou serve. And he, um, in all three of those places, he quoted from Deuteronomy. Canaan, that we'll see, Lord willing, next week um, in, in the book of Joshua is the promised land. Canaan is a type or a picture of the rest that we have in Jesus. So here we see the children of Israel, they're in Egypt. They're brought out of bondage, brought through the Red Sea, parted, brought out from, from Egypt, and they escape Pharaoh and his armies. God delivers them because of the blood of the Lamb. The Passover, remember, as they, before they went to the Red Sea. They're delivered. Then they're promised the promised land. And so when they go into the promised land, it is to be a place of rest. Now, we see that word rest there. It doesn't mean there's never any effort that has to be made. Now, there's no effort for us to make for salvation. We have rest in Jesus because Canaan was promised to them just as um, the Lord Jesus promises us eternal life. But during the, their time in Canaan, as we'll see, there would be battles to face. But we'll always have our commander, our, our captain of our salvation, the Lord Jesus. He will be our commander to take us through the battles. A um, few verses to give you if you'd like to write them down uh, and look at them. We'll have to close with this. Chapter 4, verse uh, 30 to 32 actually gives some, some reference to the tribulation that will happen after the rapture. And that's something it's prophesied way back in the book of Deuteronomy. And then chapter 7, verse 6 and 7, it tells why God chose Israel. He said, I didn't choose you because you're the biggest of all nations. You're the greatest. He said, in fact, you're the smallest. He said, I chose you uh, to, to draw you to myself, to bring you to myself, and reminds them that he had made the covenant with Abraham. He said, it's not because you're the, the largest nation on earth, you're the fewest. He said, but I have chose you unto myself. Then chapter 8, verse 18, he tells us where real prosperity comes from because in chapter 8, he tells them, remember the Lord thy God, it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. Anything that we have in life that we're blessed with, it ultimately comes from God. James chapter 1 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And then chapter 33 and verse 27, as Moses was getting towards the end of his life, um, we see the verse where there's the promise to him that underneath are the everlasting arms. We have a song in our hymn book we sing that's based on that, on that verse about the everlasting arms. So... Um, the book of Deuteronomy has uh, a lot just within a few months' time, uh, a lot that happened that God told them and, and uh, events and so forth uh, and what they were to do when they go into the promised land. So let's stop there. Any questions or anything before we close tonight? What was the verse about the age of accountability? Chapter 1. <clears throat> go back to that. And I'll give you the references in my, my to study with those. 
um, chapter 1, verse, in fact, I meant to put that on that slide and I didn't. Chapter 1, verse 39, and then the uh, places in Romans that go with that. Well, there's another place uh, in 2 Samuel 12, 23, where, uh, remember when David, um, Bathsheba, remember the baby dies? And then David says, uh, he'll not come to me, but I'll go to him. And there's the promise of that. And then Romans 4, verse 15, and Romans 5, verse 13. Romans 4, verse 15, Romans 5, verse 13. Sin is not imputed where there is no law. And so a child that's not old enough to understand the difference between good and evil, God's not going to impute um, if they don't have that knowledge of what sin is, he's not going to impute that to them. In other words, he won't hold that to their uh, account. But now, I've known of people that have got saved as early as four years old in their life, and then some, of course, later in life. But I don't think there's an age number of accountability, but I think that it has to do with when a child understands. Um, because sometimes uh, a child may die in, 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 uh, before, you know, before it leaves infancy or in very early years. And uh, if they don't understand that, that the, the sin problem, they don't understand the fact that they're a sinner and, and so forth, that that has to be uh, obvious in their mind and heart to the point where they can understand why Jesus died. So anyway, um, that's, along with that 129, or excuse me, 130, is 2 Samuel 12, 23, Romans 4, 15, and Romans 5, 13. So, all right. Anything else? Well, let's stand and close in prayer, and we'll dismiss a little bit earlier than last week. And Lord willing, weather permitting, look forward to Joshua next week. So if you want to read ahead and hit some highlights on Joshua, look forward to that. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, that uh, as we look tonight through Deuteronomy, as with our other studies, it's been a lot to put in one study. But, Lord, we look and see how um, what you had uh, in mind for your people and uh, for them while they were still wandering and then when they were promised to go into the land that you were given to them, uh, we thank you for how you took care of them and we thank you for the promises you made. And Lord, we know that the law does not apply to us and that we're not required to keep that under grace, but we do know that the law was given for a reason. And we do know, Lord, that as we look at the law, basically it shows us of our need for a Savior. And just as the law didn't save any of them, didn't give any of them eternal life, they had to believe on you and what you said for eternal life. Um, when they kept the law, because they were your people, you always blessed them. And Lord, we know that uh, when you were here on earth, you said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And Lord, we know that the commandments you gave do not save us. The commandments you give are that after we're saved to have an abundant life, a life that can be uh, enjoyed, a life of blessing. I pray that you watch over us as we leave from here tonight. Keep us safe, Lord, and uh, bring us back, Lord willing, this Sunday. Lord, we can worship you together in Jesus' name. Amen.